Well, here we are. Uh, we're on to number eight of the Ten Commandments. And as you know, we're going backwards from ten down to one. You know, these laws that were given to us by God are given to, for our freedom. So important we realize that. God gives us things to do. It's for our good. It's for our freedom. It's for our liberty. It's not to constrain us. And I think that's a wonderful thing to keep in mind as we come to the ten um, that we're working through today. Today, we find ourselves in Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. You shall not steal. Come on, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, God, your amazing, ever-changing, living word that continues, Lord, to break freedom open in front of us as we step into it and lead it uh, and live in it. God, I pray today, God, you'll give us ears to hear what you're saying to each one of us in the place and situation that we're in, Lord. And I pray that as we go out of here, God, you'll enable us to live a little more free than we were when we came in. Bless your word to us today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you shall not steal. The Hebrew carries this idea of taking something and carrying it away by stealth. That's what this word means. So let me ask you this morning, have you ever stolen anything? I have. I'm going to confess that to you here today. I stole Liz's heart. (laughs) Yes, I did. I know I'm a beautiful man. Seriously, though. Have I stolen? Well, here's the challenge, right? Because none of us like to identify ourselves as thieves. And part of the problem is is that we become excellent at rationalizing this away. We use a lot of words. Uh, It's interesting in Proverbs, right? Where words are many, sin is not absent. But there are all these definitions that we can work with. Steal, cheat, misappropriate, plagiarize, poach, pinch, swindle, rip off, default, defraud, all of these carry the same thing. And, and, and what it really tells us is actually that there are a lot of different ways to break this commandment. And when I look back over my life, then I find myself absolutely having to say, yes, I have done this. I have taken things that are not my own and I'm not proud about it. It's so important for us to realize that as human beings, we become very, very good at justifying our wrongdoing or convincing ourselves that we can get away with it. I heard the story of a thief who broke into a suburban home in the middle of one night, found a door that was unsecured, managed to get into the lounge, and there through the darkness he could see all these iPads and laptops charging on the counter. And as he quickly began to unplug them and uh, put them in his bag, he heard a voice cutting through the night, Jesus is watching you. He was terrified. He thought they'd been busted, so he froze, didn't move hoping that they hadn't actually seen exactly where he was. And then the voice came again, Jesus is watching you. He turned around slowly, trying to find out where the voice was coming from. And as it came out again, Jesus is watching you. He saw in the far corner of the room a large cage, and there was a parrot in there. And it was the parrot saying it. I mean, he was so relieved. He said, oh, thank goodness. It's just a blooming parrot. And then he whispered across the room, what's your name, pretty boy? And the parrot replied, Moses. Well, the man is, he he can't believe this. As he's putting stuff in his bag, he said out loud, more to himself than to the parrot, what kind of people call their parrot Moses? To which the parrot replied, the same kind of people who call their Rottweiler Jesus. Now, there's an important lesson here that we all need to realize. Jesus is 
watching you. I have had many incidences in my life where I've sat in my office with someone who has been exposed in some sort of behavior which is completely incongruous with with the Christian life and they are angry at me. And they say to me, who do you think you are? What gives you the right to pull me up like this in your office? And I'm like, whoa, slow down. You obviously completely misunderstand what is going on here. I didn't pull you up. You're not here because I caught you. You're here because you have repeatedly ignored God's attempts to get you to turn around. And then I'll run through it. Was there a time when you felt that what you were doing was wrong and you felt in your heart God was saying, don't do this? Well, yeah, I guess he was. And let me guess, you ignored that. And so then a time came when actually God began to expose that into a slightly larger circle. And I don't know, maybe your flatmates found out about it. Oh, you know, that kind of did happen. And, and then you ignore that as well. And so you keep going. And then someone, uh, maybe someone in a leadership position of you in the church, they somehow got to know about it. The, Oh, yeah, that kind of happened. And you still ignore that, and then to your shock and horror, you've now found out that God has opened this even wider because he loves you so much, and now you find yourself here. You need to realize your sins will find you out. Jesus is watching because he loves us. Why do we, why do I, why do people take what isn't theirs? Whether it's ram raiding a dairy embezzling millions out of some multinational, or taking pens or reams of paper home from work for the kids. We do these things because there's something in us that is dissatisfied and wants more and wants to prosper. And and this problematic approach is tied up in the two things we've already talked about, right? Covetousness and dishonesty. But the Bible is clear that there are right ways to prosper. It's not that God doesn't want us to do well. He wants us in whatever situation we find ourselves in to prosper. The scriptures are littered with these metaphors of what it is to be a person of God, to follow him, that no matter what situation we're in, God desires us to be like a tree planted by streams of water whose leaf does not wither and who produces its fruit in season and out of season. We see these things again and again. God wants us to grow. He wants us to progress. He wants us to be people that can offer things to those in the world around about us. However, there are right ways to prosper. There's a proper way to prosper ways that God can bless, but there are also wrong ways to prosper, right? So what are some of the wrong ways to prosper? Let me just look at three. One is a little bit of a a kind of a recap in some ways, but three wrong ways to prosper. One is dishonesty. God demands honest dealings in everything we do. God hates cheating. And he delights in honesty. Why? Because it not only harms the person we're doing it to, ultimately it destroys us. And it breaks down the fabric of community and society that we are a part of. Deuteronomy 26 verse 15. You must have honest weights and measures so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. For the Lord your God detests anyone who does these things, anyone who deals dishonestly. And we talked a bit about this with Pastor Shane did last week. I knew this guy many years ago. True story. 
Uh, he he uh, had his own business, and he was relatively successful. It was a kind of single operator kind of a thing. And, um, but he was doing really well and, and seemed to be prospering. And he was, he was quite the big personality. You know, you kind of heard him when he came in the room. And everyone knew him. And he was a real networker. And he knew lots and lots of people. And um, he seemed to be doing fine. As a church, not this church, a previous church I was in, we had even utilized his business uh, for a period of time to help us with some things. And it seemed to go okay. But then there were whisperings of problems and difficulties and things that didn't seem to be quite right. And it culminated one day in me getting invited round to his house for an emergency meeting. I arrived at his house to find him sitting at his dining table with his wife who was in tears and coming apart. And the story began to come out that for years he had been dishonest with people about what was going on and he had been taking money from people. Some it was, hey, you know, my business, I really want to expand my business. You know, I've just got this great vision for it. And, and uh, look, if, if you would like to invest in my business, you know, we, you'll get a great return on that. Lies. But he took people's money. Sometimes it was, look, I'm just in a really tough time right now. Don't tell anybody. But look, if you could just, if you just help me out, I, I will get this back to you. I promise you. I'm just, I'm just in a tough season right now. As his lies multiplied and more and more people found his dishonesty meant that they were out of pocket, eventually the police got involved, they launched a quiet little investigation, and they busted him, and he had been confronted a week earlier by the police and a group of these people, and this is what blew me away, he owed people a million dollars, a million dollars. This is a little owner-operator business, couldn't have been turning over more than a couple of hundred grand a year tops. Unbelievable. There was, like, there was no way he was going to pay this back. And, and his wife had no idea, and she was devastated by this. But his work gets really interesting. A group of these people who he had taken money from, they came around him and they worked with the police and they said to him, we want to support you. We realize that you can go off to prison and we'll get none of this money back. But we actually like you. We actually believe in you. So we're going to form a trust around about you. All the money you take from your business will go into the trust. We'll pay you a salary out of that. But out of the trust, you'll eventually pay back each of us over the time. We want to support you. We want to see you win. He was overcome with gratitude about this, as you can well imagine. I mean, talk about grace. Most of the people that he had taken money from were Christians. And, and so I was being brought into the loop at this point to provide pastoral care for him and his family, to try and help them in their marriage, but also to provide a little bit of accountability. So at the end of that time together, the deal was I was going to meet with him every two weeks just to check in, see how he's doing. Man, he was committed, I tell you. Or so it seemed. We didn't even get to the first two-week meeting before I was contacted by the police and told that in that two-week period, he had gone to two more people and taken $20,000 off them. Unbelievable. And I just, you know, I remember with clarity that moment of complete disbelief, realizing that he was willing to lose everything in his addiction to being dishonest and taking things from other people, and he lost, and he went to prison. 
He went to prison. He lost his marriage. He lost his family. He lost his business. He lost his church community. He lost his standing. It was an absolutely tragic story. Make no mistake. God sees. It may look like you're getting somewhere for a little while, but in the end, it's always going to come back to bite you. The second wrong way to prosper, and again, there's a lot of overlap here, is defrauding people. You know, offering an honest product for, a, for an honest price, that's how commerce works, but defrauding people is offering something for a dishonest price or not being true with someone about what is really going on. You know, you ever bought a car that's been regularly serviced, that's had one careful lady owner and it's being sold to you by a 16-year-old and you're like, you don't look like a lady. You know, some people do this with their taxes. They're just like, I'm not going to pay my taxes because I think the government's rubbish anyway. And, 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 and what am I getting out of this? And, it, and so actually, you know what? I don't need to do this. And so they just don't pay all of their taxes. You know, Bible, the Bible says in Romans 13, give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If it's revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Give what you owe. Don't defraud people. It's not going to help you. And, and this kind of trickles down. Don't take advantage of people who work for you. Don't take advantage of who you work for. Isn't it interesting that they say that most sick days are taken on Fridays and Mondays? I'd love to know what the kind of you know, biochemical background of that is. I mean, it's fascinating, right? Physiologically, how people tend to get sick on Fridays and Mondays. Uh, of course, there are a couple of possible explanations. One being that actually, people just like long weekends. But you know what? Small thefts lead to large losses. The most common theft at work is the theft of time. You know, arrive late in the morning, leave early in the afternoon, take extended breaks, and then don't do a whole lot in between. Don't defraud people. Give what you owe. I'm going to tell you another story about a different person that I knew, an older guy, um, who ran a very, very successful business. Uh, he was essentially an independent contractor, but the service that he offered was high value, and he had some very large corporate clients, and he made a great deal of money. And I remember, uh, so it all came out later, one year when it got to tax time, he, he was just, he, he was not in a particularly fluid situation. And so he decided that he was just going to push off paying the tax a few more months, get a bit more, rev- bit more revenue and a bit more cash flow, and then he was going to pay the tax. But as time went on, it became very easy to keep pushing it off and pushing it off. And by the end of the year, no one had called. Well, let's roll with it. The problem was the next year he did the same, and the next year, And the next year, until he hadn't paid any tax for six years. And then this is absolutely true. Out of the blue, one day, an IRD person turned up on his doorstep, handed him a letter, and told him that he had 31 days to pay his outstanding tax, or he would be prosecuted and sent to jail. 31 days to find $200,000, which is what he owed in tax. Now, you've got to understand it's not just the impossibility of trying to find 200 grand in four weeks. It was the shame in telling his wife, who had no idea and thought that all the tax had been paid. It was the shame in telling his adult kids 
what he had done as the patriarch of the family, trying to explain to friends and the church community why they were trying to sell their house so fast. Not paying your taxes in big ways or small ways. Defrauding people in big ways and small ways is not the right way to prosper. Then the third thought this morning, the third not healthy way to try and get ahead is defaulting. You know, not following through on something. Have you given your word to someone and not followed through? Have you borrowed something from someone and said you'd get it back to them and not got it back to them? Psalm 37 verse 21, the wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. The writer Anatoly of France once said, never lend books, for no one ever returns them. In fact, the only books I have in my library are the ones that others have lent to me. (laughs) So let me ask you, is there anyone here with books on their bookshelf that they haven't returned? I know, it's so funny, right? When I wrote this, I'm looking at my bookshelf going, oh, 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 oh. I've got a couple I need to return. But have you withheld something from someone to whom it is due? Whether that be taxes or maybe it's time. You say, look, oh, I'll get some time with you. Maybe it's with your spouse or your kids or a close friend or someone who's going through a tough time. Or maybe it's tithes from God who asks you to take a proportion of what he has blessed you with and honor him by giving it back to him. You know, we don't talk a lot about this these days, but let me take you to the book of Malachi. It's one of the minor prophets, and Malachi is speaking on behalf of God to the nation of Israel. This is what he says. He says, ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and you have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Then he speaks on behalf of the people. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? He says, speaking in the Lord's voice, yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? And the answer comes from the Lord through the prophet in tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. You know, some of us have intended to get round to kind of giving. Some of us have, in, have even maybe said to God or, or, or even to others, yeah, I'm going to do that. And just, it just never got round to being put into place. I don't know, but maybe it's time to put that right. Let me take you into four ways that we can prosper the proper way. Now, now these aren't rocket science, but it's important that we understand how these all work together. Firstly, work and work hard. Proverbs 14 verse 23, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. I heard that the Pope was once asked, how many people work in the Vatican? He replied, about half. The dictionary is the only place where you'll find success before work. And, and when we talk about working hard, we're not just talking about paying jobs. There are plenty of people who work extremely hard in non-paid roles that are absolutely essential to society. Mums, grandmothers, 
people who care for family that's sick. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that go on out there. The Bible is not talking about that. The Bible is talking about those who could work, but instead decide not to. In fact, the Bible warns us of becoming people like that. It's so important that we realize that actually work is a gift. Work is a privilege. It's one of the things Christianity gave to the world is that it actually gave work back to everyday people as something that is honored by God. You know, in the first, in the first century world, the only people who worked were, were, were poor people. To really succeed, you, you, you came to a place in society where you didn't need to work anymore. And yet Jesus comes along and the disciples come along and, and actually talk about work as something that is honorable. This was a massive shift in the world and it's important for us to realize that. Work and do everything you can to work at something that you enjoy, that is lined up with your giftings. And if you do that, work becomes something incredibly satisfying and fulfilling, something you will keep growing in. It wasn't until I was like 23 that I realized that you can actually work doing something that you love to do. My experience of work all the way through my life up up until 23 was work was drudgery. I hated everything about it. I hated every job I did. And then I met this girl who was a physiotherapist. And uh, in fact, she was Liz's flatmate. And she, I mean, she was a great physiotherapist. But she also loved physiotherapy. And she said this to me one day. She said, you know, I love what I do so much that if no one would pay me to do it, I would just make it, I would just do it with my friends for free. I love doing it. I love what it does to people, to their minds and to their bodies. I love the fact that healing comes. She, she was so passionate about it. And it ruined me. Because for the first time I realized that if it's possible to do something that you love, then it must be somehow akin to being sinful to not try and find what that is and try and find a way to do that for as much of your life as you can. We've got to learn to love work and to work hard. You know, I've shared this story before, but I love the story of of Lizzie finishing school um, a couple of years earlier, she'd worked for two whole years in a pet shop, which she hated with a passion. But she did it so she could save up enough money to travel overseas. At the age of 15, she went over to Australia by herself, caught up with some friends, had a great time, came back, and she thought, I want to be involved in the travel agents and the travel industry, but no one would give her a job because she was like 16. She had no experience. And so what did she do? She offered herself to a travel agency to work for free to do all of the jobs that no one else wanted to do. If they would do that for her, just give her some experience. Six months later, she has become so necessary to that business that they gave her a job. Fast forward seven years, she's done so well. She's prospered that now the company she works for have sent her around the country opening new branches for them. Amazing. God can work with that. If we will work hard at what we're doing, God can work with that to prosper us. The second thing today is save. Save something. I know that with you know, the cost of living increasing and, and, and it's, a, it's a tough environment to be in, particularly if we're starting off, if we're in minimum wage jobs, the thought of saving can be almost impossible. But you know what? We've got to learn to save something, to gather something, to put something away. Proverbs 13, whoever gathers money little by little, make it grow. I don't know, did you see the paper this, um, this last week in the Herald? There was a story about this guy who, who basically worked minimum wage job his whole life, and when he died, he gifted $4 million to um, the local DHB. 
Four million dollars. No one who knew him had any idea. This guy like would eat meat once a week because he, people thought that was all he could afford, but he had massive savings. Fascinating, right? We have got to learn to develop the habit of saving, putting a little bit aside, being wise with what God brings us. You know what the first thing you should do is you should always put as much as you can out of your pay into your Kiwi saver. We've got to all realize that the day is going to come when we're going to get old. I am what's called an object lesson now. Okay, we're all going to get old. We're all going to get to the point where people aren't going to pay us a whole lot of money anymore for what we can offer. That's just the reality. So think about it now and be smart about your future. Save a little. Put a little aside. Get together an emergency fund. Look, for anyone here who wants to grow a little bit more in your understanding of how to work better with your money, you need to get this book. It's by a guy called Dave Ramsey. It's called The Total Money Makeover. I can't recommend it highly enough. Dave Ramsey, fascinating guy, Christian guy, had been like a millionaire and been completely bankrupt twice by the time he was 30. Very, very wealthy guy, but built his whole life and coaches thousands of people in terms of how to do um, your finances biblically, but very, very practically and attainably do it. Save something. God can work with that if you're saving something. The third one today is this, spend well. I'm a, I have kids. In fact, not, not, let's not put it on my kids. I remember when I was a teenager, I was appalling at spending well. You know, when I first knew Liz, when I first met Liz, she was wearing these really cool, high-quality, trendy um, leather boots, and she had a shirt. We used to wear this linen leather, this linen leather, this linen shirt, which cost over two hundred dollars. Now, here's the funny thing. I didn't even know you could buy shirts that were like $200. I, I, like, completely honestly, I didn't know that people sold shirts for that kind of money. I spent less money than that on my first motorbike. And as you can imagine, it was a heap of junk. But Liz taught me something. I mean, I mean I, in my early 20s, I dressed myself almost exclusively from the boxes of secondhand clothes that my parents would send me. When I was at university and, and I would receive some, one of these boxes from my parents, my flatmates thought this was Christmas. I would often come home from our city, a big box from my parents, and my flatmates had just taken the liberty of getting into it and playing dress up with the weird stuff my parents sent me to wear. Like, I was not the fashion icon that you see standing before you today. Okay, and now I'm lying as well. But... but but Liz taught me that actually spending well makes a huge difference. She, she would spend way less than me over the period of a year because I would buy rubbish, horrible stuff that didn't fit well, would shrink as soon as I put it in the dryer. I've got long arms as it was. Most of my clothes were kind of went just below my elbow. It was just a world of tragedy. And yet she bought good quality stuff that looked fantastic much, much longer, had to replace it much less than I did. Man, you've got to learn these lessons in life, don't you? That actually you need to learn to spend well. Our very first home in Dunedin, they say, you know, that when it comes to buying homes, that you, made your, you make your money not when you sell your house, but when you buy your house. You've heard that? It's so true. You don't make your money when you sell your house. You make your money when you buy your house. Make sure you buy well. When we bought our first house, we bought the worst house in the best street. 
fact, it wasn't even the worst house. It was just the worst presented house. At the open home, the grass on the lawns was thigh high. The entire backyard around the clothesline was covered in dog poo. Nothing had been done to the house since it had been built in the 1960s. It still had faded orange wallpaper and carpet. It was special. And this is the piece of... In the open home, like you guys have been open homes. In the open home, in the one toilet, there was a large brown loggy looking thing that was floating there for the open home. Honestly, we bought that house, mowed the lawns and made 20 grand. Spend well. Spend wisely. Be thoughtful about it. Be disciplined. God can work with that. The last thought is this. Give confidently. The Bible again and again tells us that as followers of Christ, we need to be generous. It's one of those core things that is is there, that to be a Christian is to be someone that in some way, shape, or form has a generosity of heart. The Reverend J. John tells the story of two sparrows conversing. Kind of taken a little bit out of Matthew, uh, where Jesus is talking about how, how even the sparrows don't worry because their Heavenly Father feeds them. And in the story, he tells of these two sparrows conversing. One sparrow says to the other, what are these humans so stressed about? They're, they're up early. They work long after dark. They seem to be really unhappy all the time. What do you think is going on with that? The second sparrow replies, I don't know what their problem is, but they clearly cannot have a heavenly father who cares for them like our heavenly father cares for us. You see, when we give, giving is always about faith. It's always about trusting God, that God doesn't command us to give so that then we will be poorer, we will be in lack as a result. Giving requires faith, but we do it and we can do it because we know we have a loving Heavenly Father who watches over us and knows our needs and ensures that we will not be in lack as a result of our giving. I mean, listen to what Jesus says. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. Have you ever had an experience of something that is pressed down, shaken together, running over, poured into your lap? I have. I sat in a car once. We were going on a professional development trip with a group of teachers to another city, and I'd just gone into the supermarket and bought a big bottle of Coke for the journey, and I just kind of was somehow unaware of how shook up that, that Coke had gotten on the way between the supermarket and the car. And as we were all sitting off and a car full of people, I opened this can of Coke, and it was truly a good measure, pressed down, shaking together, <laughs> running over and pouring into my lap. But that's the image God gives us of his care for us when we give. We've got to learn to give confidently. I'm not saying you have to go and take half of your earnings. or, But, but when we give, whether, whatever that is, be that a tithe, be that five bucks we're giving to a busker, whatever, but give confidently, knowing that God sees. You know, the Bible tells us that God's eyes roam throughout the earth looking for those whose hearts are fully committed to him that he might strengthen them. I'm telling you, we have seen such financial blessings over the years as a result of our regular habit of giving, whether that's to, uh, to church or whether that's to elderly parents, whatever it is, but we give confidently. Can I encourage you to give confidently? You see, giving is the antidote to the spirit of taking. That's why it's so hard 
Can I tell you, after all of these years, being convinced again and again and again and again and again that God will meet my needs, here's the truth. I still find it hard to give. Yet I know that in doing so, it is fixing a tendency that lives deep within me that must be addressed if I'm going to be the man that God has called me to be. Stealing, taking, carrying away by stealth, it's just so destructive to the human heart, the human condition, and the community that he's called us to be in. Because, you see, God can't bless that. God can't multiply that. He can't promote that. And he can't trust someone who does that with bigger things. So let's bring it back to ourselves. Hebrews tells us that there's this particular habit that Christians have, which is so helpful. And this habit is the habit of repentance from acts that lead to death. Let me explain that. It's just a, it's just a habit of when we notice, right? When we notice that we're doing something and we look up for a minute and realize we're going in the wrong direction. Christians, we have this habit of noticing that and going, <laughs> I'm going to go in the other direction. See, repentance is not just a one-time thing that happens when we get saved. No, repentance, according to the writer of Hebrews, is a habit of Christians. So let me ask you today, is there something in your life that actually, if you're really honest, you need to notice, you need to turn around on, and you need to go the other way? Have you taken things that are not yours? Have you slipped into dishonesty? Have you withheld something from someone to whom it is due, be it taxes or time or tithes? Or have you held back other things? Have you held back forgiveness from someone you know you need to forgive? Have you held back from others' love that you know you need to give them because you're still holding on to some hurt or some pain? That happened long ago. You know, church, we have a wonderful opportunity today to turn around some of those things. Remember that guy I told you about, about at the start who just dishonestly defrauded people of money? I bumped into him in a campground about three summers ago. I'll be honest, I didn't want to talk to him. I was still pretty disappointed about what he had done. But anyway, we, we, we connected, and he reached out to me, and I met him in a cafe a few weeks later, and he told me his story. He told me the story of being in prison and coming to the end of himself and realizing that if he did one thing in this life, he needed to turn it around. He got right with God. Eventually, he got out of prison, he began working to rebuild the relationship with his kids. He talked about his new job. Here he was starting right at the bottom again. A real kind of bottom entry-level service job. But he was absolutely committed to doing it and prospering the way God wanted him to prosper. He talked about finding love again. And he talked of his brutal, complete, total, unwavering commitment to prospering God's way, however long that took. I love the fact that God loves to help people turn things around. Amen. Come on, let's pray.
God, I pray, Lord, that you will help us, Lord, to prosper, help us to, to do better, help us to improve where we're at, but God, help us to do it properly. Help us to do it your way. And so, Lord, today I pray for each one of us that we might, as we stand here in your grace, in your love, in your complete forgiveness, in your full acceptance, God, I pray that we will be able to embrace the reality that maybe there's some things in our lives that we need to turn around on. God, would you help us in that? Help us to take that bold action, that brave step. God, I thank you that you love us and you love to help us turn things around in our lives. Speak to our hearts today, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.